0: It's time again for Three Point Podcast. Three sports guys three generations and three hot takes. The triple threat includes baby boomer Ted Patel of Sportsnet, Michigan and c 925 the castle. Our Gen Xer is Matt Burns of ESPN and the SEC network out of Charlotte, North Carolina. And the millennial man is Jared Patel of Fox 17 TV in Grand Rapids, Michigan and Fat Stack Sports. Comments and questions can be sent by email to three point at gmail.com or hit them up on social media at three The fellows will get it rolling right after this from our partners.
1: Nelson House Funeral Homes number one goal is to serve the families in our community. They're not tied into an out-of-state corporation or their board of directors. The Nelson House staff are proud to serve our local community with reliability, integrity, and compassion. The top priority is caring for our friends and neighbors, being right there when you need them most. With unique service to represent unique lives in mid-Michigan, ensuring your loved ones receive the honor and celebration, they deserve. The business started in 1880 and continues the tradition today with chapels in Owasso, Chesanine and New Lothrop. For more details, see them on the web at nelsonhouse.com or call them at 989-723-5234. Welcome to Three Point Podcast, Episode 153. Our partners include Advanced Elevator, Chrono Connection, Hankard Sportswear, Rivals Tap House and Grill, Nelson House Funeral Homes, Sharon and Auction Service, Success Group Mortgage and Servicing, and Z92.5 The Castle. Our trio includes the young guy, Jared Fattel, here in the studios with me. Our middleman is Matt Burns of ESPN on the phone from North Carolina, and I'm the boomer, Ted Fattel. Thanks for the listen, Give us a follow on social media at 3 Point Pod and also the free app, Locker Room. Speaking of Locker Room, we're going to go into the Locker Room on this podcast, talk a little bit about Michigan and Minnesota basketball. We'll also keep it on the same topic along with uh, Wolverine football. We'll check in with Justin Rowe and... Uh, We'll have a few other fun things along the way. Before we get rolling too far, I want to talk about what Jared and I were up to on Saturday. We had a chance to broadcast the new Lothrop Hornets here locally again. And again, impressive, 36-21 to 21 over Schoolcraft on their way to a state championship in Ford Field next Saturday morning.
2: Yeah, it, it was a really impressive game. I mean, they, every time I watch them, it feels like they impress me more and more because Schoolcraft was the most legitimate team that I've seen them play in, the, you know, since I've started covering them or whatever. And because Schoolcraft had three different players all going to uh, play at the next level, a lot of really good skill positions, a quarterback that's a college quarterback going to Grand Valley, going to compete with uh, former New Lothrop quarterback Avery Moore for a starting job probably in a couple years. It just reminded me a lot of a college football game because, one, you have two really – stud quarterbacks on both sides of the ball, whereas a typical high school game, like you have wide-open receivers that the quarterbacks are missing or the like, neither teams are really able to move the ball. Both these teams move the ball kind of not necessarily at will against each other, but it seems like a drives. Red, long drives where if they were going to get stopped, it was going to be in the red zone. It was just a great up-and-down game and a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, really, it was finally yeah. closed out by, uh, and, and Clint Galvis, by the way, we, we can't give him enough credit. He's just an outstanding, probably the premier coach in mid-Michigan, without
2: a doubt, and maybe one of the top, maybe five in the state, would you say? For I would say, yeah, I don't know how you can argue that, especially, what's his record now, 127-15 and, and I mean, at New Lothrop. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure how you can argue that. They've moved up a division since he's been there. Yeah. Uh, you know that he's basically kept his entire coaching staff intact pretty much for the most part while he's been there but yeah he's just he's one heck of a coach he knows his x's and o's and he reminds me a lot of like uh iowa state's coach uh campbell where it's like he's very lively on the sidelines and the players just seem to love him yeah and he
1: reminds me a little bit of uh our friend too tony Anis, when he was coaching the sidelines in high school football here in michigan at montrose and other schools you know quickly on that game again and talking about Galvis and talking about the mindset on the Hornets, they never panicked because as you laid out, Schoolcraft kind of came out of the gates and and were kind of sending a message that they were ready to play and they had a lot of weapons, but Hornets hung in there, hung in there defensively especially, and then in under three minutes to go in the first half, New Lothar put up 24 points to kind of close it out really. yeah, Just an amazing performance.
3: I was going to ask you guys basically the same question I asked you last week, but why I'm curious this week is uh, it's about how much juice there was in the stadium. Does it feel like we're back to actual playoff football? Because I was wondering like that first week that game's returned, if it was like a little strange, you know, teams were barely practicing, this is the first game, what's even going on? But now this second game comes around and it's like, okay, this is for real. We're, we're playing for a chance to go to Ford Field. Does it feel like this week there was a little more energy because they're playing for a chance to go to the title game, maybe than last week.
2: Yeah, I think so. But the thing with this team is, I think they're they're they've had their aspirations set on a state title pretty much since the season started a long time ago. It feels it doesn't feel too much different because if it was maybe a Friday night game where it was getting dark at like four thirty, like it is in Michigan now, that would probably be a little bit more noticeable. Or if it wasn't a Saturday game in the snow and the weather where a lot of these Saturday games normally don't have the biggest crowd kind of as is. But it's still it's one heck of a product. It's two really good teams, and it almost looks like they haven't missed a step really at yeah, all.
1: Yeah, and we almost had to kind of zero in our vision just on the field because the atmosphere is definitely not there in the stands. No. I mean, if it's a if it's a normal Saturday semifinal game, it would have been loud. I yeah, mean, and there was there was none of that, so we didn't have any of that juice. But it seemed like the juice on the sidelines it was there for sure. I mean, you're seeing the coaches high fiving and you know really into the game. The players were into it. That was still there. Now, one thing with January football in the state of Michigan outdoors that you don't see usually in the fall, our partner Bart Matthews, the Bart man,
2: he took a header on his way up to the press box <laughs> on the icy stands.
4: Ah! <laughs>
2: uh-huh. There's sometimes where I can tell that, um, you know, with a couple older gentlemen on the broadcast team, because I, I swear they were mentioning the ice and how they have to walk down. They're talking about how they don't want to go to the bathroom because there's ice in the bleachers. Like, it was a little bit overboard at some point. Well, as Bart
1: says, you know, when you're dealing with ice, you got to walk like a penguin.
2: Oh, and, and that did I also. I think we do a very good job on our broadcast, but kind of a funny moment. Uh, we literally missed a touchdown. We had no <laughs> yeah. idea what happened. All of a sudden there was a touchdown on the board. So Coming that up. also happened.
3: I was going to bring that up because I was going to say, uh, you know you, the game was kind of going on during the Michigan game so I was like tuning in I, I did I turned you guys game on uh, you know here and there and I'd listen for a couple minutes then I'd go back and, you know, and watch Michigan but so I was going to ask you about two plays I had two two things I wanted to ask you about <laughs> well first of all I'm not trying to like pump your guys' ego up but you guys know it you guys really do do a good job calling a game oh That yeah, you've been doing you've been doing it forever but I, Jared I, you, you do a good job doing color and obviously Bart does really well too so Anyone that wants to listen to a a good high school football call, I mean, you guys really do a good job. But (laughs) to the point that you just said, one of the things, I I turned it on, and literally right when I turned it on, Bart was finishing up his read, and all of a sudden you guys were like, what just happened? I think Bart even said, I think Bart, Bart said, what just happened? And you guys were like, I don't know. I think it was a pick six. (laughs) It was like... You guys were all, like, looking around, like, did anyone see it? Who scored? And I was just, it it was
1: funny. It was one of the weirdest situations ever, and I don't think we've ever run into that before because I think all three of us happened to be looking down. You know, Bart's reading commercials, Jared's writing down stats, and I'm looking at my Twitter feed to see a score. And they had just called a timeout, New Lothrop did. They were looking at a third down and long from about their own five-yard line. So they're coming out of a timeout, and the only thing we could figure out they immediately came out of the timeout, went onto the field, and went right to the line of scrimmage and snapped it and threw a pass of some sort in that quick amount That's
2: of time. That's the thing we didn't see who scored it. We didn't. Also, we looked up and there was another score on the board. Right. And <laughs> didn't really know what happened. It was a fumble or interception. But other than that, I think we do a pretty good job. <laughs>
3: the second one, real quick. The second yeah. one I'm going to point out. And you know, you guys talked about him last week, Cam Moore. You know, the the standout, the stud, that new ultra pass. One, I, I think, you know, probably Schoolcraft, I, you know, you were talking about it, Ted, School, Schoolcraft was trying to, you know, make a little run. One of the times that right when I turned it on, it, I could tell, like, the energy was there. Schoolcraft was maybe trying to you know, make a little comeback, mm-hmm. but Cam Moore came up with a huge quarterback sack, and I was just thinking, yep. like, holy crap, this this kid is legit. Like, is he... I mean, looking at his stats, he had a hell of a game again. It sounds
2: like, yeah, he he did. And there's really not a better. We were talking about this on the broadcast as well. There's really not a better spot for him to be going than Fair State because you they get a lot of pub for like you know Tony and East the 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 offense, the option offense, all that kind of stuff. But really, the last year they had the best defense in the country. They the defensive like basically the defensive Heisman on their defensive line, Anthony Edwards, who's now playing uh, Sundays. So it's like he's basically walking into the perfect situation where he's going to have every opportunity to grow and maybe even become a type of player that could play on Sundays one day.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's the real deal, and it's kind of funny here. We've had an opportunity this year, Jared, to cover two of the better high school defensive ends in a long time in our area, and Cam Moore and Nick Steineker of uh, Corona, who's yeah. going on to play at Saginaw Valley, and Ryan Brady. But back to the Hornets for just a second, You know, the, Cam Camor definitely is a stud, without a doubt, but... We we talked about it. Will Muron didn't have a lot of looks from different colleges leading up into the last couple of weeks. All of a sudden, some publicity is is generated right now, and he's yeah. having some huge games. He had three total catches yesterday, all three for touchdowns.
2: Yeah. You know, he uh, had a all hard three f- in on like fourth and tens or yeah. third and twenties, like where it's like obviously it's balls going to him, and he still yeah came through. He's he's just a flat out burner. He can he's fat. He's the fastest high school player I've seen this year. Fastest high school player I've probably seen in the last three or four years, other than maybe you know like an Amari Coleman or like. division one type guy like that he's he's very fast i want to kind of segue away from this just for a second is i was doing a little bit of reading over this weekend you know the huge news is urban meyer is going to jacksonville jaguars uh he did an interview give it to me and basically they asked hey like why why the jaguars and he basically said the having the number one pick was the number one determining factor for why he went to the jaguars he said it was quote unquote huge so, I just wanted to kind of lay out what you guys did this year by, you know, rooting for the Lions each week when they were, you know, what did they finish? Six and ten? Because uh, they hit the under. They didn't even hit the un- the over of wins, so you right. lost $20 betting on yep. that. I lost my money. Yep. By yeah. going for this whole Stafford, you know, this team is one player away from like a Super Bowl. It's kind of how you guys act sometimes. We, one, missed out on Urban Meyer, who could be the next big thing in the NFL coaching, and we missed out on Trevor Lawrence, the number one pick. Oh, and because we don't have anything coming back in the cupboard, this quote-unquote loaded cupboard that we have at the Lions with Matt Stafford, we're missing out on all these top coaching candidates. Robert Sala, um, who else has been hired? Like, guys that we had circled to the point now where we're, like, delaying our search for a little bit. Waiting for some of these yeah. playoff coaches—it's just a joke. You guys, just you, we get everything we deserve. Lions fans—they wanted all these, you know, kind of pointless victories this season, and mm-hmm. this is what you get—you get the bottom of the barrel coaching. That's it's just going to keep this cycle spinning round and round of losses, bad coaches, bad GMs, and then we'll just keep being here every every year. We do this podcast, we'll keep talking about it.
3: I will say this: I definitely understand what you're saying, and it seems like the Jaguars—it was a perfect. I mean, it was for he even said it for him to come out of his quote-unquote retirement, it was the perfect scenario because of the number one pick. They've got a bunch of other picks. They've got a ton of salary cap space. He's really going to be able to basically build his own team there, probably with Trevor Lawrence as his quarterback. So I definitely get what you're saying. But the thing is, even if the Lions did tank, like they still have Stafford. So I don't think, even if they had the number one pick, I don't know if they'd be able to take Trevor Lawrence unless they traded Stafford or did something like that. So... It's not as easy as saying, like, if they would have just got the number one pick, they would have got Urban Meyer because he wanted, you know, to, to work with Trevor Lawrence because Stafford's there with that huge, that huge contract. And, like, to that point, Stafford's in the prime of his career. He's not looking to tank. He's not going to go out there and just, you know, say, hey, I'm going to start taking some games so we get the number one pick. No, he's in the prime of his career. He's, he's trying to win games. So I get what you're saying because it does just seem like. We're in that endless cycle of six and ten, seven and nine, you know, middle of the road draft picks, or we get a top three draft pick and we draft a cornerback for some reason. That's part of the but, biggest
1: problem right there.
3: Yeah, and but the the coaching thing just you know, the coaching thing is strange. I don't I don't get what I don't know if they're waiting on someone who's still in the playoffs, you know, to to finish their playoff run or what. But seeing Sala go to the Jets and seeing some of the names that they're talking about, like Marvin Lewis, Todd Bowles it just seems like we're going to end up with another generic defensive coordinator guy, and Matt Stafford, again, is going to be looking around like, can I get someone with an offensive mind as my head coach, please? So I'm definitely with you there.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think the frontrunner's got to be Campbell of the, of the Saints. And
2: here, here's what's – sorry to cut you off real quick. I Just, just one last thing I would say is, I, it, from what I've seen about Robert Sala since he's been hired, I 100% wanted that guy. He just seems like he was just – I think he's just going to be a really good head coach. He seems really smart. I saw a little clip, I don't know if it was Matt or something that shared it, where it was him talking about how if you want to have like a winning staff, you can't just have a bunch of Robert Salas on your staff. You have to hire a whole bunch of different guys that have different strengths in different areas, and he just seems to have like his head on his shoulders. And we saw Richard Sherman, one of the guys who hated Pete Carroll, who's a Super Bowl winning coach, basically throw his entire weight behind this guy and say like he's the real deal. He should have a coach, head coaching job. So we missed out on him. Uh, Because we wanted to win a couple extra games. Uh, Go ahead.
1: Well, no. We didn't miss out on him because of that. Do we know, first of all, if the Lions management even really made a serious offer at him? Yeah, they brought him in for an interview. But, you know, it's the same thing with Urban Meyer. You know, you're talking about the Lions and tanking. And, first of all, if it was early in the season and, you know, they're like 0-5, 0-6... I'm not against it at that point. Then just say hell with it. You're not getting to the playoffs. But re- remember, they actually played pretty well for a while. I'm blaming right now the Sala non-hire and the Urban Meyer. I don't even know if they even made any effort whatsoever to attempt <laughs> to sign him. D- have you heard? I don't
2: of- think they did. I think they do. So, they so it's
1: management. <laughs> well, it's management more than than tanking. I mean, it seems to me like the culture and what what decisions are being made. Matt, you brought it up. Hell, who's going to be the coach? How much time's going to go by till they hire somebody? I do think, and we talked about it a little bit. I think they might have made a good move on their general manager. You know, at least it's a guy that seems to have experience judging collegiate talent. You know, for for a football team. But I don't know what the hell's going on in the Ford management there. That's the biggest problem I see.
3: Hashtag since fifty-seven, right?
1: Amen, brother. <laughs> you, you could tell it got my blood boiling just a little bit. <laughs>
3: You you didn't like it.
2: Hey, you got to you eat what you sow or you reap what you sow. Is that saying where you 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 know, <laughs> hey, you got your enjoyment out the 16 weeks of enjoyment. Now yes, you yes. have to deal with the classic, oh, we're just going to literally do the same exact thing next season. So
1: you think just just so we get this clear before we move on. You think the whole process would have been solved if they would have tanked and and got what? The number 3 pick again because they weren't probably ever going to get the number 1.
2: What do you think? Who's to say? Uh, who's Up. to say we weren't going to get the number one? Pick? So you're
1: saying then tank the entire season to to get that number one pick, and that's going to change the whole franchise?
2: All I'm saying is we had zero shot at getting Urban Meyer as we are currently constructed. I think the way we well, look at it, and, it, you don't put a phone call into it. People that are smarter than I are basically opening my eyes to: we have the least stacked cupboard out of all the teams that fired their coaches, which means it's like the worst teams in the NFL. Of all the teams that fired their coaches, we are at the bottom of that board. So I just don't understand how – I mean, how else do you explain it? All these top coaches can candidates are leaving. You look at all this free cap space that, like, the Jaguars and all these other teams have, the Jets, and then you look at us, it's like we're tied up with a shitty team with a pretty good quarterback that is, like – that's, like, our main draw pretty, is Matt Stafford.
1: Pretty good offense, really. I mean, if they if they do something with a defense, like I have said, yep, I'm a slappy, I think they can turn it around. <laughs> I really
3: do. Pretty- and we can you you see how quickly teams can turn it around and we might see it in jacksonville they might quickly turn things around Oh, they will so it, it could happen but i do get what you're saying jared the cupboard when you really start i'm with you ted also i think there's a ton of potential there on offense especially if stafford you know can can have you know have a good healthy season but when you start really looking at it, the cupboard. i mean you can see why some of these head coaches maybe didn't have much interest Stafford's kind of You know, injuries are maybe starting to pile up a little bit. And, you know, he's at that point in his career. Like, is he going to have a good end of his career? Or is this kind of the – is he on the, you know, downhill slide right now? Uh, The defense is a mess. I don't know what the hell Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia were trying to build there on the defense. So the defense is a mess. You know, what what other pieces do you have on offense? Like, are the receivers staying around? So, right, I I do wonder if some head coaches, while they were, like, coming in for interviews – if they're also looking at the whole situation and working for the Fords, if they were like, yeah, you know what, I'm going to not go to Detroit. So
1: sure makes you wonder what does happen after they go in for an interview and then they're walking out the door and shaking hands and they'll say, uh, I'll get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know, it's a sad state of affair, but uh... – that's our Detroit Lions. All right, we're going to go in the locker room, talk a little Michigan basketball, and uh, we're going to have Justin Rowe joining us in a little while as well. But before we get to that, I want to tell you about Sheridan Auction Service. They always have a wide variety of items in real estate on the docket. Stay up to date by checking their website at SheridanAuctionService.com. Looking out for you, Sheridan Auction Service. Also helping us out, Nelson House Funeral Homes. Their top goals: to serve the families in our community. The number one priority is caring for our friends and neighbors and being right there when you need them the most. Check them out on the web at nelson-house.com. Also down the road, one of our favorite spots, Rivals Tap House and Grill, the official sports bar of Three Point Podcast. Keep supporting them by calling in your takeout orders. Rivals Tap House and Grill in Corona at the corner of M21 and State Road.
3: All right, let's bring our guest on for this podcast. His name is Justin Rowe. He's one of the guys at Blue by 90 Podcast. We've had Jack Shield on from Blue by 90. Now we're having Justin on. We're just going to end up partnering with you guys at some point, I think. <laughs> but, but you can find their stuff uh, on Twitter, at Blue by 90. You can find Justin's stuff on Twitter, at JustinRowe92. So head over there and check out all their stuff. Those guys are great, talking Michigan sports and everything else. So, so yeah, we brought Justin on today. Uh, and the first question I want to ask you, Justin, is obviously we're, re- we're recording Sunday morning. So yesterday, Michigan Hoops, they-, they picked up their first loss of the season. Uh, we-, we did a quick little post-game chat on locker room between the three of us, and we kind of said the same thing, like, I- that I'm sure you guys feel the same way. The Big Ten is tough. It didn't feel like, even though we were loving Michigan kind of running the table, looking like one of the best teams in the country, it didn't feel like they were going to actually go undefeated. They were going to pick up a couple losses along the way. And when we saw Eli Brooks was going to be out, they're in Minnesota. You know, the barn is a tough place to play. You know, it was kind of like feeling like, and then right when the game started, it was kind of feeling like this had all the writing on the wall. This was going to be the first loss of the season. So kind of, what, what were your thoughts on that game yesterday? Are you hitting the panic meter or is it kind of like, let's, let's take this loss and move on?
4: Yeah, definitely not hitting the panic button at this point. Um, I actually, we, we talked about it on our, our Blue by 90 podcast, uh, last week before the game, because I I saw it as kind of a trap game a little yeah. bit because you're coming off of a huge Wisconsin game. Uh, obviously, they played well, but it's still a top ten matchup. Uh, and so this was their first like true road test. I thought against a solid team. Uh, you came out uh, against them last time and really you know beat the brakes off them, but you knew that they were going to come out swinging this time. And so um, I saw it as a game that. Michigan was probably going to have trouble with. And then, like you said, all of a sudden Eli Brooks is out. You know, we didn't get that information till the day of pretty much. Uh, and then they just came out flat and it had all, it was the formula for a Big Ten road loss, which we've seen so many times before. You know, in the Big Ten on the road, it's really, really hard to win. Uh, one thing that I was just talking to Michael Spath about was it's just kind of crazy, even without fans, how effective it, how how much kids these kids are affected by just playing simply playing in a di- different arena right it's kind of crazy i know the barn is weird the the floor is raised and the court is a weird color and all this stuff but it's just kind of nuts have you guys you know talked about that or noticed that where it's just wild how much a different shooting on a different hoop affects
2: these kids Oh, yeah, it's just crazy because, I mean, this super well-shooting team like Michigan, the first true road test, like you mentioned, they just look terrible. They look like they can't even hit water if they fell out of a boat. Are you worried at all? The thing that I kind of I, – I agree with a lot of what you said where it's just kind of was the recipe for a loss, but did you see any, like, glaring weaknesses at all like, in that game against Minnesota that make you a little bit worried kind of going forward?
4: Well, we found out that Hunter Dickinson is human, <laughs> right, you yeah. know, it's, which – he he hasn't showed even when you know Michigan. I believe he only had two points at halftime, right? Yeah. Uh, and so I thought that the glaring weakness to me was not even just on Hunter Dickinson, but it was more on Juwan Howard because I thought that this was the first time, as, uh, at least this year, that Juwan Howard really had a tough game uh, with with his coaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, going into the season, I said that he one big big step that Juwan Howard needs to make he's obviously made the step in recruiting he's done really well in a lot of different places but his in-game coaching and rotations I thought he struggled with last year and we saw that on Saturday I didn't think he, he had any type of flow with his rotations and it was tough because anybody that he turned to couldn't get it going so it's tough to, you know to put that all on him because he tried a bunch of different things uh, but none of them worked. But, what I would have liked to see, I think, is he's got to ride Hunter a little bit more. We've seen Hunter struggle for an entire half, like I just said. Uh, but I think that you know we've also seen Hunter come out and score 14 points in five minutes. So yeah. I I would have liked to see him kind of ride that out a little bit more and really try to get that starting five, maybe six guys. Uh, You know, tough it out a little bit and and get into some type of a rhythm because he had the he had a quick hook on Shondy Brown as well. Even when Shondy was like the only bright spot, same thing for Austin Davis a little bit too. So it was just an odd day for Jawan Howard. I thought he kind of didn't know where to turn to because everyone was struggling. But he's going to learn those things. We have to remember what he's coached forty games as a head coach so far. So. Uh, you know when you're comparing that to even Richard Patino, he's nowhere near what Richard Patino was coached as well. And so um, we have to we have to remember how young uh, how how young Juwan Howard is in his head coaching career, and know that he's going to have some struggling games too. Uh, but those were a couple of the real issues that I saw. But they're issues that can be fixed. They, they, it's not like you know Michigan's going to have a perfect season, but it's not like they're going to fall apart at all at all either so I think those are the issues that we saw yesterday can be fixed moving forward and and Michigan can really figure it out
1: you know in fairness Justin to uh, Juwan Howard though I mean when you're making substitutions that you are getting input from your assistants and he has some really good assistants as well I mean Izzo's had the same criticism at times but uh, it's funny to me the aftermath that I see from Wolverine Nation, you know when they lose a game, it's like it's all doom and gloom. And I'm not saying you specifically, but I'm saying things I've read this morning. After all, they're still eleven and one, six and one in the Big Ten. They're going to have their ups and downs. And like you said, this was a classic trap game, especially without uh, Brooks being able to play. So I wouldn't get too concerned right at the moment. And I really probably wouldn't be too concerned with uh, Howard's substitution patterns either. I think that'll be uh, cleared up.
4: Yeah, for sure. I think that they're going to figure it out. This was, again, this was the first time that Michigan was really punched in the mouth at all. You know, the only other time that they have been uh, in any close games at all were Oakland, which seems like it was five years ago at this point, and then the Penn State game, which, uh, you know, came down to the wire at the end. But uh, in their last, you know, seven, eight games, they really haven't had – Many tough tests, so I think this was kind of a it was a wake-up call. And without your your leader and Eli Brooks on the floor, it was just one of those things where they they were like, "Crap! Now what do we do?" You know, we, they didn't have that guy to turn to. So I think they're gonna figure that out. If Brooks is out a little bit longer, then they're gonna have to turn to somebody. Somebody's going to have have to step up. But it was just one of those nights where. You know, Mike Smith goes 0 for 6. I think Franz Wagner was like 3 for 9. Yep. Uh, Isaiah Livers was, didn't play well either. He didn't shoot well, so it was just all those guys, you know, together not playing well. That that was the recipe for disaster. But I, I do think that it was it's it's a big overreaction from Michigan fans and Dan Dockich on ESPN, who and, and I can't remember who who he was who his partner was. But they were like saying things like, "Yeah, we, you know, we were wondering if Michigan was truly legit. (laughs) No, they're they're still legit. Minnesota had a great game. I mean, you have to tip your cap to Robbins, who went three for three from the three point line. You know, who's expecting that? So they had a great game. Marcus Carr had a great game. Uh, And but. Maybe it against- gets.
3: And you know, I, I kind of I gave you guys a little bit of crap on, on Twitter, uh, blue by ninety a few times, and you know just just for fun, like going back and forth, you know, trying to stay positive and trying to see yeah. like, let's see this let's hold see this process play out, you know, like Jim Harbaugh, he did have one year left left on his contract going into the off season. I truly think he was looking at it that way, like hey, I still have one year on my deal, I'm still the head coach, and I also I, I was trying to like think in my head, like try and look at it this way. This guy's also human. You know, he probably did want to take a couple weeks off, reflect a little bit. Maybe he really was putting some feelers out for the NFL, really seeing if there was any interest there. I understand how Michigan football fans are. We need results. We need news. We need it right now. And so I I was just getting a little frustrated sometimes, like seeing the overwhelming negativity about the whole Jim Harbaugh situation and the the program and everything. But – where we sit now, he signed his contract, he's coming back at least for, for this upcoming season. So for you, you know, now that he is the head coach going into 2021, are you okay with that? When you look back on the whole situation, was it a little blown out of proportion? Kind of what are your thoughts on that whole Jim Harbaugh scenario, he finally signed his deal and everything? Well, first of all, if there
4: was one word to describe Michigan fans, it would be overreaction. Uh, and that's uh, that's myself included. It's always either the best case scenario or the worst. Like everything's going unbelievable, or everything is is you know the worst, and we should shut down the whole program. <laughs> that's that's usually how fans feel. Um, but I I think that you know the I, I was a little bit negative on the whole thing. I do think Spath is uh, is wearing off on me a little bit here uh, because I'm usually pretty pretty positive, but. I think it was just kind of frustrating how it all played out after such a frustrating season, you know. Watching Michigan play this year was so frustrating for Michigan fans and then when you top that with the the lack of transparency and the way that Michigan, you know, everybody every other team that had a coaching vacancy was seem to figure it all out before them and and that whole that whole recipe was really why I thought that a lot of Michigan fans were so negative about it, um, and I think it's just the fact that Jim Harbaugh is a guy that does wear on people, and so now he's come in and he he just is not the most likable human being, to be quite honest. And so for a lot of people, I mean, he's hateable by every other fan base out there, you know, including Ohio state and Michigan state. Um, so now when he's struggling in his, uh, in his own, right, his own fan base is going to, to, you know, turn on him a little bit. And so um, I don't blame the, the, uh, the fan base for being negative about it a little bit, but I also agree with you. Like everything, the sky is not falling. Michigan's going to be okay. If I see it. How I see it is that uh, Michigan is, is, Going to get back to probably you know nine and three at the, at uh, at a minimum, uh, but I will say their their schedule next year is going to be very tough. I don't know. I, I I see it as they think that Jim Harbaugh can still be the guy. Can he be the guy to beat Ohio State and win a national championship? I don't know about that. But is there any guy out there that can beat Ohio State right now? That's the question. I I just don't really believe that Michigan is on that level yet. Could they get there at some point? Maybe is, is Jim Harbaugh the guy that could get them there? Yeah, absolutely. We saw it in 2016 and 2018 how close they were. You know, 2016, you're literally two inches away from being there, and then that changes the whole trajectory. So I think the, the overreaction of, me, of people saying, oh, Jim Harbaugh needs to go, well, I think it'd be really frustrating for for fans, even more frustrating than what what is going on now. If Jim Harbaugh left, went and had a great success in the NFL, and then Michigan found a dud of, of a new head coach, so it's just this whole thing, like you said, overreaction. I think that Michigan's going to be fine, and I I do think you know what you said about the uh, you know him taking a couple of weeks mm-hmm. away. I don't know if you guys saw his put out for the uh, Michigan High School Football Coaches Association, a lot of those were very deep personal goals. And it was, it was things yeah. about himself that he thinks uh, he needs to do. I think he, needs, he feels he needs to change the culture, and it starts with him. So it, that was interesting for me to see. And it was pretty intriguing and exciting for me to see that he was looking inward. Uh, he was looking at himself uh, to change things there before he could change anything else in the program.
2: I agree with that. That That is uh, promising that he is kind of looking inward because we want the old Jim Harbaugh back or we at least want him to fix this culture because it just seems like they don't even have fun playing football. Uh, but Michigan football is so far away from competing that I don't even want to focus on them. I have one more uh, question for you. It's about Michigan basketball. More importantly, um, their matchup against Michigan State, which is kind of my Super Bowl, it decides whether or not we had a good season for me or not. Are you worried at all about Michigan State? Because I just have a really bad feeling that it's going to be a lot like this Minnesota game where we play really well leading up to it, and then we kind of shit the bed, for lack of a better term, against Michigan State.
4: Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I, I, it is also my Super Bowl uh, as a Michigan fan from the west side of the state. Yep. Uh, I have a lot of Spartan friends, and so <laughs> uh, that game means a lot, which meant uh, – this November or October, I had a really bad day yep. uh, when Michigan State went, went into the big house and beat Michigan in football. Um, but I do I do think that I agree with you. I'm a little nervous about that game because I, I think that Michigan State always somehow figures it out, right, yep. under Tom Izzo. And so they're probably, I, I know that Tom Izzo is watching Michigan and trying to game prep for that exact game because he knows that Michigan State fans care about that game more than any other game on the on the schedule, and so um, I, I'm a little worried about it. But I also see the matchups, and if Hunter Dickinson can play, yeah, Hunter Dickinson has played every game except for yesterday. I think that he, uh, I think that favors Michigan. Um, mm-hmm. I watched, I've watched Michigan State a lot this year they don't have an answer at the center position. Maddie Sosoko is not ready for the Big Ten Conference, to be honest with you. Uh, And Kithier and some of these other guys, they really, I I don't think they can match up with Hunter Dickinson, even with Austin Davis. I think he could have a good game as well. So I think Dewan Howard's going to say, we're going to beat Hunter Dickinson against Michigan State until they can stop us. And so um, I see Michigan State struggling right now. And I, as a Michigan fan who's grown up with a bunch of Sparties my entire life and watch Tom Izzo figure it out over the course yep. of a season, year after year after year, I am prepared for them to be good by the time Michigan plays them 100%. But with that being said, I still think that the matchups favor the Wolverines with Hunter Dickinson and with some of these other uh, pieces that Michigan has.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, we all know. You, you laid it out. We all know even as bad as Michigan State can be playing, Izzo does usually figure it out, and and Ted always reminds us of that because he's he's a Spartan slappy basketball guy on this podcast.
1: Hey, I give him credit. I'm one of those guys that I love both of our in-state schools, but I lean to Michigan, and 100% Michigan for football, so that's how I lie.
3: (laughs) No, I'll, I'll, I'll be curious to see how that basketball game goes too because we were talking about culture, and you guys mentioned like Jim Harbaugh trying to fix the culture at Michigan for the football program. I feel like that's what Izzo does have right now, at least, over the Michigan program, is that culture. I mean, in that mindset, it reminds me a lot of like Alabama football. Alabama just knows they're better than everyone. Whenever they step on the field, they know they're they're probably the better team. It seems like Michigan State has that mindset where even if Michigan is in first place in the Big Ten and they're you know everyone's talking about how great Michigan is, Michigan State knows that they're Michigan State when they step on the floor. I mean, if they play their game, they can win. So that's that's definitely something. I, I can admit it's definitely something that is impressive about Tom Izzo.
4: For sure. I mean, that you can't. The the one thing about Tom Izzo is I I hate watching him all the time because he is a, a an angry little man on the sideline and screams and <laughs> pouts and bounces feet all the time. So uh, it, it irks me to watch him. But you still have to give him respect because he. Is an incredible coach, and he does it year after year. Even when he doesn't have the the full pieces, you know, he doesn't have the five stars all the time. Now he started to get them, but back in the day, like he never had those guys, but still figured it all out. Um, you know, between him and Dantonio, I thought it was it was the best uh, you know coaching combo in all of college athletics, and that's tough for me to say. But, um, you know, they did the most with the least talent, usually. So it was always really impressive. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think that they'll figure it out. It'll be interesting to see how it, how it all plays out if Michigan State starts playing better or if they continue. Because I think that, you know, we talked – I think, Ted, you said it. Uh, Tom Izzo has, has really struggled with his rotation. Right. He has not been able to find his top five guys that he can go to and he's ended up sometimes going 9, 10 deep on, into his bench, and then it's like, okay, well, why is Aaron Henry sitting for you 10-plus know, minutes at a time? Why is uh, Joey Hauser out of the game? Like That's, that's your go-to guy. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how he figures it out throughout the season. Uh, and then to the culture, I mean, I think that Juwan Howard's got a pretty damn good culture going on right now. Uh, I thought sure. even in a loss yesterday, Michigan played hard till the end. Uh, Shawnee Brown still is coming out, uh, you know, and playing hard at the end of the game. I thought I, I think that Michigan, you know, their bench is unbelievable to watch because yeah. every single guy is supporting one another, uh, even if it's you know, even if that's the backup to the starter. I watch Austin Davis and uh, and Brandon Johns on the sideline, and whenever Hunter Dickinson gets a bucket. They're going nuts because that's their guy. So I just love what Juwan Howard is doing in, in, uh, in Ann Arbor. And I think there are a lot of fans out there, myself included, that wish that Michigan football would look like what Michigan basketball is because not only because of the wins, but because of how they play the game and and everything that they do.
3: No, you're spot on. And yeah, Juwan, it definitely looks like he's building something. Hopefully he sticks around as long as Izzo has, you know, any slanting. But uh, Justin, we appreciate you coming on. You know, love talking Michigan sports, even talking a little Michigan State sports. That's cool, too. Uh, why don't you let our listeners know where they can find your stuff and uh, Blue by 90 stuff?
4: Yeah, yep. So just like you said before, um, I'm on Twitter at Row 92 uh, I'm also, uh, you know, I, I do a lot with our Blue by 90 account as well, at Blue by 90 on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, And then we have our podcast at Blue By 90. I also have a podcast with Michael Spath. It's called The Stadium in Maine Pod, talking about Michigan football and basketball and hockey and everything else. Um, So doing a lot, talking a lot of Michigan sports, which is fun. Uh, It's fun when they win. It's been fun lately with Michigan uh, basketball, but this fall was not as fun to get on there every day and (laughs) and talk about what's going wrong with Michigan. But, uh, yeah, you can find me there and, and, uh, you know, Uh, find everything that I've got going uh, at those
3: different spots. Awesome. Well, thanks thanks again, Justin, and uh, hey, go blue. Hopefully, Hopefully the Wolverines keep it rolling.
1: Success Group Mortgage and Servicing is a mortgage and land contract services company that is focused on your success. The home financing team has over 25 years' experience and origination of all types of loans. Led by Jim Woodworth, Success Group Mortgage provides one-on-one service with a personal touch. You're not lost in the crowd like working with a mega-sized bank. Every transaction is given complete attention from the very beginning to the end. Located in downtown Owasso, call today for an appointment at 989-720-4380 or find more information on the web at successgroupmortgage.com. Hankard Sportswear is the area's top clothing and more printing business. Located in the heart of Owasso at 116 West Exchange Street. Give them a follow on Facebook at hankard.sportswear. Advanced Elevator Company have the very best trained professional field technicians and project management for installation, troubleshooting, and repair of elevators in the entire Midwest. Conveniently located with world headquarters in the heart of Owasso, Michigan, the Janka family are longtime huge supporters of the Corona Public Schools. Advanced Elevator Company, area business leaders, and proud member of the Shiawassee Regional Chamber of Commerce since 2000.
3: For anyone out there listening, uh, obviously we just got done seeing Michigan pick up their first loss of the season at Minnesota. Tough game, obviously, for the Wolverines. But the three of us here were Three Point Podcast, myself, Ted, and Jared. So you can find our podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search Three Point Podcast. Find us on social media at Three Point Pod. Yeah, let's let's break this Wolverines loss down. I mean, we've we've talked about it on the podcast before that the Big Ten, I, I think it's the Big Ten is the best conference in college basketball. I think Jared, you were kind of talking about that. Yeah, one of the last pods, that the Big Ten is just ridiculous, and so we knew we we were loving Michigan being undefeated and top ten and looking like one of the best teams in the country. But you knew that they weren't going to run the table. I mean, I guess it was possible, but it seemed like at some point they were going to pick up a couple losses. And this almost – I don't know if you guys saw the news early in the day about Eli Brooks now at Minnesota, which is a tough place to play, at the barn. Uh, Minnesota had lost three of their last four. So you know that they were like – they were looking to make a statement, especially with the way that Michigan beat them, you know, uh, like 10 days ago. So it kind of like had the recipe for this might have been Michigan's first loss. And, you know, right from the jump, you know, so Shonday Brown – was put into the starting lineup because Eli Brooks was out and we saw right away how big of a loss Eli Brooks is for this team. I mean, he's a leader experienced. He's one of the best defenders in the whole country. I mean, definitely in the big 10 and he just kind of like gets that offense going. You know, he can make shots. He kind of gets the offense going. He moves the ball and, you know, Shawnee Brown, while we like him and he stepped into his role, great transferring into Michigan. It, It, it almost looked like he's, he's maybe better in the role of like the sixth man coming off the bench, being with that second unit, and maybe him being in the starting role. I mean, it was one game, but him being in the starting lineup, maybe it wasn't his best role. So I think we saw right away how big of a loss uh, Eli Brooks was for this team. Uh, Hunter Dickinson, I mean, he played okay. He didn't play a great game. Maybe this was his, like, his freshman moment type of game. I mean they couldn't shoot, you know, sometimes on the road it just seems like you can't knock down a shot and that was definitely going on. So, it was almost like it was just everything. Every time Michigan made a quick little five zero, six zero run to try and act like they wanted to get back in it Minnesota then went on their own five or 60 run and Michigan just couldn't couldn't come back. So, that was kind of I guess my initial thoughts.
2: We were kind of, I was waiting and waiting for the eventual comeback down to earth game for Michigan because they've been reading a little bit into their press. Mhm. I mean, everyone's been kind of raving about this team. They've been blowing everybody out. They blew Minnesota out earlier in the year. One quick comment I have just to Ted real quick. Uh, you said you were going to the dugout. Uh, were you storming the Dwarf Leaches in Normandy? Did you end up getting <laughs> Like, what is going on over there? Because the the women.
1: Well, because, actually, I snuck around behind the press box over here. Jared and I were doing some high school football broadcasting today, and New Lothrop now moves on to the state finals. Uh, but, no, I'm just hiding away from the wind. But, uh, you know, I was going to say, Matt, you laid it out perfectly, and anybody that didn't think this was a game Michigan more than likely was going to lose, even if they had a healthy Brooks. This was that kind of game, going to Minnesota, playing at Williams, the elevated floor, everything that goes with it, and starting off the season 11-0, you knew they had to come back down to earth at one point, and this was the kind of game that you'd probably circle
2: being a fan. Yeah, and, it, and there really wasn't anyone that really had a particularly good game. I mean, the guy that's going to be circled, and I feel like he's going to receive a lot of the criticism is Livers, and that's because he's just kind of the veteran on this team. And in these games where you're on the road in the Big Ten, this is where a guy like a Cassius Winston or somebody like that, of a veteran presence who's really good, is going to kind of settle down the team and shine in this game. And I wonder if Michigan has that. I feel like that's going to be the one weakness is when things are tough, we don't really have – they're not a very old team, and I feel like it's going to be tough when we need to find a guy to go to in crunch time. And we didn't have that at all today.
3: Yeah, that's, that's what it kind of seemed like from the start that – I don't know if it was because Brooks was out or what, but it seemed like Livers was kind of playing outside of his game. He was forcing a little bit. He was trying to play a little bit too much one-on-one ball, where, you know, in, in the previous 10 games or whatever, when watching Michigan, man, their ball movement was just great. They would move the ball, move the ball, get the ball down to Dickinson. He would kick it out. You know, the, the offense was just great in their, the previous 10 or so games. And they just, I, honestly, from the start, just looked out of sorts. Because Franz Wagner was out of rhythm. Like I said, Livers was trying to force things. Uh, the big Robbins for Minnesota, he was giving Dickinson a little bit of trouble. Troubles, so Dickinson was frustrated. It, it was like, honestly, just from the start, it didn't, it didn't feel like Michigan's day.
2: No, and another big question mark I just have uh, circling around this team is is Franz Wagner. He's another guy that we've just kind of have always been raving about, and we're still kind of waiting. He hasn't had that breakout game yet. Uh, he's been he's been solid. He's been steady, but we really need him to be upper in the 20s each and every game. If we really want to have a legitimate shot at the Final Four, which is now where the stage has been set for this team, that's where, that's where the expectation is. It's a Final Four now. So when you're losing these teams to a Minnesota team that's lost three out of their last four, you just blew them out a little bit ago. It just makes me question kind of the veteran presence in that locker room.
1: Yeah, it doesn't sound like they were really ready. And I know you talked about the big guy, Matt. Overall, did Michigan play well defensively or did they
3: struggle? No, and that's the thing. I think it's like a a trickle-down effect with Brooks being out. And, you know, it's not like being a homer slappy. Brooks, like all the – the grading and all the, I guess, experts, if you want to say, he's graded as, like, the best ter- perimeter defender in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. So, like, with Brooks being out, then, uh, you know, Mike Smith had to slide over and guard a guy that he probably wasn't going to. Like I said, Shondy Brown had to step in and play a bigger role on the de- defensive and offensive end. So it was like a just a trickle-down effect. And Minnesota also played really good. You know, they also played really well. I think, uh you know, Michigan had 20 turnovers and Minnesota only had nine, so that's a big part. Minnesota was playing really well. But, yeah, everything, the the defense for Michigan was just out of sorts, and the offense wasn't really there. And, you know, a couple guys like the big man Robbins for Minnesota just stepped up, and he was even knocking down a few threes. So it was almost like when that dude's knocking down threes, when You're Dickinson trouble. can't hit a bucket, right, when Franz Wagner couldn't even, like, he ended up scoring a few points, but, right, he, he was just kind of struggling to find his shot it just you know it, it was one of those you you like tip you tip your cap when when the big man is knocking down threes for minnesota you're like not our day let's get the hell out of minnesota
1: you know the reason i brought up the defense too is you know watching this team now they're 12 games in i've been really impressed with the way they strap it on defensively and you know their their they, their depth is really good today throw out of the mix but you know we look at this team now 12 games in yeah they might have a few adjustments to make but what do, what do we think? What do we think
0: yeah,
2: this team? Being 100% a thing that truly makes me worried, I know it's just a random game here in January, but this is the first time that we've seen kind of what Hunter Dickinson can do on the perimeter as a defender, and you mentioned it, Robbins. It's like took advantage of him from the three-point line, three for three kind of won that personal matchup, personal battle, and that makes me worried for a couple reasons. One, we got Luca Garza, who can score from anywhere on the court, who's coming up in a few weeks if we want to contend for a Big Ten title. And then you get in the NCAA tournament, so many of those mid-level teams are just five guys that really strap it from three, and I'm worried if we're going to not be able to play Dickinson down the stretch because he just can't cover on the perimeter.
3: No, and no, you're you're spot on because I don't know, Robbins, I mean, you know, the, the game uh, a couple weeks ago against Minnesota, Dickinson just completely owned him. So I don't know if he was just locked in. Uh, Dan Dockage was calling the game. You know, he, he mentioned it a few times that he he looked like Robbins, looked like he was just, like, determined, locked in. Yeah. I don't know if he had this, like, circled after Dickinson just dominated him. Like, I'm going to take it to this kid, you know, when we, when we have the rematch in Minnesota because he – he was dialed in. He played a great game. And you're to your point, you're right. Dickinson's defense looked a little suspect. I mean, he is, you know, he's a freshman, so he's got some learning to do. But now we're we're getting into, you know, the middle of Big Ten play. So, he, you know, you got to hope that he's going to figure it out, especially, yeah, with some games against Luka Garza coming up. So I'm not I'm not sitting here saying like Dickinson all of a sudden got exposed or something, but he definitely didn't play his best game.
1: Well, as we know, too, young freshmen, true freshmen that come in, you know, when they get to the latter part of the season, they see a lot of that uh, fatigue set in. You know, they're not used to it. You know, it's not the high school schedule anymore. We'll see what happens with Dickinson in that in that effect too.
3: Yeah, yeah, and they, you know, they, like I was talking about the trickle down effect. You know, like some other guys were having to come in, like Zeb Jackson. You know, yeah, he's, he's an exciting freshman. We're we're kind of excited about what he's going to be but he was, you know, kind of forced maybe to play a little bit more and he was kind of taking some some shots that he normally wouldn't have. So, you know, you, you want to have more depth where, you know, if one guy goes down, it doesn't necessarily affect your team that much. But like Jared, you mentioned like Cassius Winston and you think about like Michigan State the last couple of years, if a guy like that would have went down, I'm not saying Brooks is as good as Cassius Winston, but you know, if a guy that, that, that is that important to your team goes down, it is going to have a huge effect. And you know, I think we saw the the kind of effect that it had on Michigan. So hopefully, I mean, they they said it was a minor injury. Hopefully, hopefully that's right, and he's not out for an extended period of time. But you know, I think Michigan, like like we said, we we knew they weren't going to run the table. So hopefully, this is almost like a slap in the face. Like, hey, see, you know, you can lose. You know, and I'm sure Juwan's going to tell him that.
2: Yeah, in terms of like if there was, this is a panic meter. I'm at like a four. Right now, I'm not too worried. I mean, it's the first loss of the year. If anything, I wouldn't be surprised if they bounce back even better than they were before after kind of getting the pressure off their back. Of I, Obviously, they weren't aiming for a perfect season, but something that you're thinking about. Uh, it's just a young team. They're going to have a lot of kind of bumps in the road, but the guys I'm circling are Livers and Wagner. If we really want to make a run at the Final Four, they can't have no-shows like they did today.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not hitting the panic button either, but they also have to avoid a two or three game losing streak at this point because they've got a lot of confidence going into this game. And, you know, they still can have that confidence, but if they let it slip, you know, heading to March, you got to get it back. So I'm, I'm with Jared panic button is not hit yet, but you got to go back
3: to business right away. For sure. And because like we've said, how good the big 10 is. So, I mean, we know that Michigan state didn't start off good and, you know some other teams that picked up picked up some losses like Iowa and Minnesota, Wisconsin. But right, like you said, Ted, if all of a sudden this turns into we lose Michigan loses three out of four or four out of five or something like that. Next thing you know, you're in fourth or fifth place in the Big Ten. And I'm not saying they're going to miss the tournament, but you're starting to get where you're you know getting to like a lower seed type of scenario. So so yeah, you, you don't want this to snowball. So yeah, hopefully this is just. Uh, Like a wake up call, almost like, you know, let's go look at the tape, figure some stuff out. Hopefully, Brooks is healthy, and then you move on. I mean, yeah, it it wasn't, it definitely was not a pretty game because, I mean, I think we were, especially after that football season that we just got done watching, we were getting, feeling pretty good watching the last few Michigan games, I think, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Who's next up? Who do we have next? uh, We've got uh, home versus Maryland. Which okay. uh, we we already beat them once this year, and then at Purdue, home versus Indiana. So I mean, the the next few games are definitely winnable. Winnable. Yep. And then uh, you know, in a couple of weeks is that first game against Michigan State, which you know, even even though Michigan, we we know what that game's all about. Michigan <laughs> State, Michigan State could lose their next eight games, and they're going to come in and they're going to be ready to go in that game. So, well, hopefully well, they get their COVID situation figured out first, but. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's gonna be the best game Michigan State plays all year. We know that, and we know. it's not—it's not necessarily a shot to them. It's just they always play in the big games, whether it's football or basketball. They always show up.
3: I will say though, I uh, well, let me double check. Yeah, I, I was—I thought I was right. The first game that—that that game is at Michigan, so that actually I'm—I'm kind of glad with that. If the first game against Michigan State was at Breslin, that would have—even though there's no fans, you know. So I, I understand that there's no fans. But still, that being the first game being at Chrysler does maybe help a little bit, but that, that one's got to be circled on the calendar for both teams for sure. You know it. One, uh,
2: one comment out from uh, one of our listeners here, Jennifer Corral. She said, sorry if already discussed, but would love to see one of our older guys really step up as a leader or alpha when facing adversity, even if slash when we lose. And that's exactly what we were talking about earlier. Is that this team is lacking, that Cassius Winston-type guy, that when the ships are down and you're on the road in Big Ten play, is going to be able to put points on the board and kind of lead the team.
3: Yeah, just for anyone out there on Locker Room, again, we're 3 Point Podcast. Myself, Ted, and Jared. Follow us on social media at 3 Point Pod. Find the podcast anywhere you listen. Just search 3 Point Podcast. And, uh, yeah, hopefully Michigan turns this one around and doesn't let this snowball.
1: The Hankard Sportswear team pride themselves by giving a good product at a great value. The area's go-to clothing and more printing business with many loyal customers. They do it by providing a 100% guarantee to satisfy your expectations. Hankard Sportswear always have Owasso, Corona, and St. Paul School Spirit items in stock. Also special items for family, sporting, business, and charity events. Call them at 989-725-2979, stop on into the store on Exchange Street in downtown Owasso, and follow them on Facebook at hanker.sportswear. Advanced Elevator Company have expert field technicians for troubleshooting, repair, and installation of elevators. An area business leader and a huge supporter of the Corona Public Schools Advanced Elevator. Success Group Mortgage and Servicing is a mortgage and land contract services company that's focused on your success. Led by Jim Woodworth, Success Group Mortgage provides one-on-one service with a personal touch. Located in downtown Owasso, call for an appointment at 989-720-4380 or find more info on the web at successgroupmortgage.com. All right, guys, I think uh, we made it through another podcast. I want to thank Justin Rowe for joining us. He's at Blue by 90 and very interesting chat with him. We uh, hope also that you can tune in next Saturday. I'm not sure how many fans they're going to allow into Ford Field to actually watch that game. I haven't heard. I know uh, for the last two weeks they were allowing 150. fans per game. Do you know, Jared, how many they're going to allow at Ford
2: Field? I'm not sure what the deal is at Ford Field. I'm not sure. Is it televised? Is it is it anything like that? I don't know.
1: Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be televised, but uh, we'll, we'll know a lot more this week. Uh, we do know for sure it's 10 a.m. And you can tune in on Z925.com. Check out the live broadcast from Ford Field as New Lothrop takes on Traverse City, St. Francis. And we'll be down there for all that action. Uh, you're going to be able to get up early enough. The you know the, the chariot leaves about 7 a.m. next uh, Saturday. Oh, my.
2: Yeah, I'll be up early enough. Might uh, take a nap in the uh, back seat uh, in a literal ch- uh, lawn chair in the back of the van. It's so. it's
1: it's more classic than that. It's a, it's a shower chair. <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
2: So we'll see. I don't know. I don't know if I can, I'll be able to fall asleep in that thing. but I'll
1: bring your sleeping yeah. bag. You can lay flat. <laughs> All right. That's, we'll call it good. Follow us. Let our partners know you listen in. They include Advanced Elevator, Corona Connection, hankered Sportswear, Rivals House and Grill, Nelson House Funeral Homes, Sheridan Auction Service, Success Group Mortgage and Servicing, and Z925, The Castle. For Jared Fattel and Matt Burns, I'm Ted Fattel. Thank you again for supporting 3 Point Podcast.